Hello, I'm Tim McLaughlin, and this is a Maywa podcast. The Working Traveler was a workshop held at the Maywa Textile Symposium on October 17, 2007. The panel consisted of John Gillow, Nur Jahan Bilgrami, and Charlotte Kwan. Each member of the panel spoke about their personal experience as a working traveler, how they got started, the reason for their journeys, and how travel and the interaction with other cultures has changed their lives. In this, the second of four episodes, Nur Jahan Bilgrami speaks about how she first found out about the traditional art of Ashrak block printing and how attempts to sustain and revive this elaborate and skilled craft led to her own studio, Coel. Nur Jahan is an artist, textile designer, and researcher. She was one of the founders of the Indus Valley School of Art and Architecture and its first executive director. Years of research into Ajrak led to the publication of Sinjo Ajrak and later to the making of the documentary Sun, Fire, River, Ajrak Cloth from the Soil of Sindh. Handloom weaving and natural dyes are also major interests, and Norja Han curated the exhibition Tanabana, The Woven Soul of Pakistan, in collaboration with Jonathan Mark Neuer of the University of Madison, Wisconsin. From the Netloft in Vancouver, we invite you to join us for The Working Traveler, Part 2. That this would be a very informal discussion, and I was wondering what is it about me that I can share. <laughs> and uh, while coming here, a long, long journey, long flight, that gave me opportunity to think about myself. You know, it's rare that you, because you go through life without really stopping and reflecting, um, where did you begin from? And I think this gave me an opportunity, probably for the first time, to actually start thinking, my God, <laughs> what am I doing and why am I doing and where did I begin this journey? So I'll just replace <coughs> my thoughts and where it led me. And it's really thanks to Charlotte and Tim for uh, giving me this opportunity to come to know a little about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which really, I never, you know, you're just passing through life so quickly. And uh, we spoke about India and we spoke about Pakistan and I think it's important to just establish that context because I come from both in the sense I was born in India and I live in Pakistan. So it's very interesting to note that uh, whatever we all are talking about is really textiles of that region which is the subcontinent and uh, this artificial boundary line was formed much later in 1947. It was one area. And therefore, uh, what is in Sindh and what is in Kutch is one. Families were divided. And I don't want to go into the depressing uh, <coughs> stories because I think you all are familiar with this. But I was born in India and I was born in Hyderabad, Dakhan. And I lived there for nine years before I came to Pakistan where my parents had moved, but my grandmother was living with her. And I think whatever I'm doing now, it really goes back to that period because we lived in Hyderabad in an area called Banjara Hills and Banjaras I don't know how many of you are aware of are the nomads who um, lived around the house so um, I think all my all my work now now that I think about it connects with uh, that time and that space um, for me, fragrance is very important. It may sound like very abstract notions that I'm talking about, but they're all linked and they're very important. 
So I grew up in this area where um, there would be this heady fragrance of the flowers. There would be um, intense rain and the, the first shower would bring a smell of the fresh earth. And that's a fragrance that you can't forget and it's sort of imbued in my work, I feel. So um, it's the flowers of Champa, it's the ch fragrance of flowers of Molsari. These are now rare flowers, but important. It's the site which, which is visual, which were the banjaras, which we were surrounded by, and they, there was the sound again. So all the senses were, you know, I think um, evoked at that time. The banjaras wore gungrus, they wore bells, they wore shells from here till here, ivory at that time, which is now unfortunately plastic. They had embroidery down the front, they wore a lot of silver. So there was this silver, there was textile, there was embroidery, there was billowing skirts, there was dance, there was music. And I think all this sort of remained a very much part of me and has been continuously behind me in whatever I'm doing. So that's my history. And when I was nine, I came back to Pakistan and um, I came to Pakistan. My education was in Pakistan, very average, normal not particularly liking whatever I was doing and studying, except my art classes <laughs> just went through the drill. But my art classes, I think, sort of connected me back with all this. So there was this uh, connection with art and a subject, which biology, which probably connected me to nature. So I think nature has played a very important role in my life and with the work that I'm doing. So it's the back of this memory, which I started going back thanks to them, <laughs> but that was important. Um, so anything which is tactile, and when we talk about textile, John, I think, has responded because his inner feelings were responded by the tactile and by the sensuousness yeah, yeah. of the textile. So unless you are really aware and alert to how you're responding, it's a dialogue that happens, you know, immediately it connects or you, it doesn't connect. There is no learning in that. You're not, you can't acquire that. It, it just happens. And it's very, that's why I think it's, it has a lot of abstract qualities about it. And it's not something that can be uh, put down into, this is the way to reach out to a textile. I don't know how you feel about <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway, after my, um, and then I'm from Karachi. That is where my education was in Sindh. But very um, school-like school that I went through. Then my college years were in Lahore, which is again a city of culture, a city of nature, and city of history. And I think again I found myself, I think I started rediscovering what was happening. And frankly, I mean, anything happens outside, but it's really your inside which is pushing you to do whatever it is. So I think there was connection back to myself my senses retook place in Lahore. And uh, that was a city, if you ever get an opportunity, do visit. <laughs> None of you should come to Pakistan. Um, and after that, I got married very early. So at the age of 20, I was married to an architect and had my first child. So sometimes you, you know, you're doing things. I, I studied art, I studied painting, but um, there was this move into a domestic scene with a child and having just come, gone through my second year. Um, I think whatever else happened was really uh, a, 
a kind of a challenge, a push into, I had to survive again. You know, we could barely meet our ends. So needed to work, and I got a good job to teach art. And I continued with my studies at the same time. And a um, connection with somebody who actually also, he's connected to us, Kishan's shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this little tiny shop in Karachi where all the old textiles would be piled up. And one of Joss's, um, sorry about sort of moving to uh, to him, but I don't know if you ever met Mrs. Feroz Nana. Uh, no, no. I, yeah, I think I did at Kishan's okay, store. Uh, yeah, once. This is an elderly lady and who had a fabulous textile collection whom Joss went, used to go to Graham. And at her house would be, these chests would open up and all the old textiles would come out. So I would try and help her out. So what led me to that, I don't know. It was just an inner calling, probably. I would just fold the textile and she would talk about them. And uh, also connection to this is that, uh, I think as I grew up, my mother used to share, uh, we had textiles coming down generations, so things that belonged to my great-grandmother would be folded, aired, put back, tied into bundles. And it was the feeling again, looking at it, touching it, looking at the colors, looking at the pattern that remained as part of me. Um, then my business, which I think Charlotte would say, why aren't you talking about Goyal? <laughs> um, my husband being an architect, we both did an interior design project. We entered for a competition and I wanted to use um, some upholstery fabric that would be hand printed. And I just walked into the old bazaar and there was this tiny little shop where a man was printing small tablecloths, uh, napkins actually, uh, for uh, folding chapatis, you know, roti, bread. They were really badly printed, awful, you know, really crudely printed, and horrible yellow and red prints. But that was the first time I actually saw somebody block print. And that whole process was so uh, fascinating to me that I just stood there mesmerized by how he would take the dye and with a block and print. And as he registered printed, the whole thing changed. And I started frequenting his shop and discovered a wealth of blocks which were just, you know, behind shelves, cobwebbed out, dusty. And I started pulling out these most magnificent designs, which he was had completely stopped using because the demand was for some really awful stuff that he was doing. And I started frequenting his shop more and more. I would take paper, I would take any cloth, any excuse to go back and, you know, make him print something for me without knowing where it was leading me to. So I had a little baby growing up, then I was expecting, I was studying, I was working, and in between I would find time and I would go and spend time with this man. Um, and gradually I started taking some cloth and making him print the way I would want him to print. So it became like a canvas to me. I would, it was like a painting, you know. And I started finding out more, uh, which was great to find out that Karachi pre-partition was really the center where they used to do block printing. And it used to be fabric from here, saris and dupattas, that used to be sent right up to Dhaka and to uh, ah, India, okay. you know, this was really a So they, they, had, they had no India market? was done in Karachi, apparently. So they, they After partition, the, all the all the karkhanas stopped printing. Were they, were they Hindus or Muslims? Muslims. They're all Muslims. They're all Muslims. Oh, yeah. All Muslims. Mm -hmm. 
and there were these huge areas where the beautiful blocks were all thrown upstairs and they had changed the profession because there was no longer the market, the sari wearer market. And there were just a few left who were using some old blocks to print napkins. But this wealth of knowledge and the wealth of even the blocks were lying with them totally neglected. And so, I mean, to come back to how important it is, it's, it is basically curiosity, it's the desire to know more what is not known that sort of drives you into, you know, finding what it is and digging into areas and um, discovering that it was there all the time and it, we grew up and nobody really knew about it. And as I started working with these people uh, and getting them motivated to start back, it's a matter of economics, as John said. It was, you know, so when I started producing my text, I started printing. All my friends would say, can we buy that? <laughs> and suddenly I thought, but why not? And uh, so after I finished my graduation, by that time I had two daughters. I had my first exhibition of textiles. And everything was sold out. So I, I didn't know what happened, <laughs> you know. Everything was bought off. And I then decided to have a small place instead of running every time to this workshop, have a small workshop of my own and start printing from there. And it's been now 33 years <laughs> of my life that um, this has gone on, but it's not been a journey um, that ended there. I think it was the beginning from there. Um, this was all chemical dyes. And uh, this led me to Again, just by chance, uh, there was a artisan's fair in Islamabad, and I came across an Ajrak printer um, who had all the various stages. It goes through almost 18 to 20 stages, uh, traditional Ajrak, when it's printed. And this man had them all laid out. And I said, what on earth is this? Now, because I was doing block printing, that made me curious. And he said, this is what Ajrak is. I'm living, I've grown up in Karachi, went through an art training program, had no clue what all this was about. So then I took time from him and I went to the villages. And I was just totally bowled over <coughs> by what I saw because this fabric is just incredible. And there's a book of mine here, Sindhu Ajra, which uh, she's got here, where I've documented the process. And um, it was... Uh, no, it's okay. No, but can it's, take a, yeah. yeah anyway, take you can take a look at that. Um, it's it, I document then. I mean, it was just again madness, curiosity, and something that compelled me to know more. That I started visiting these areas and realizing how much that they go through. By the end, there's a textile which we pass by, not even knowing what went into the making of it. So I started documenting. I made a documentary film. We've got the film here as well and realize that nothing is in isolation because right next to this whole, they're about Sindh, near the Indus River, there are many, many villages there. And right in the center of it is a Sufi saint, you're all aware of Sufism, uh, Shah Abdul Latif Bhittai's shrine. And for the last 150 years, uh, every night, there are faqirs who sit and recite his verses on a three-string instrument. And it's the way they sing, the whole rhythm, that I feel is the rhythm in all the making of the Ajrak. So my whole film is based on that music being at the back. And so 
I, I just felt that this craft is not in isolation. And when somebody spoke about what is the Muslim, why is it so special, I think there's much more to it. There's a huge philosophy. There's a whole, you know, it's, it's nothing done by itself in a remote thing. Everything is connected. And uh, leading from that was like um, one of the craftsmen, while I was documenting him, he said, you know, I'm using the blue, which is not only chemical, but also I'm mixing natural indigo. And he said it very sheepishly. He didn't want to share that information with me, that he's mixing natural indigo. And I said, what? Where? Where did you get this from? And he said, there's this little village, again, in the center part of Punjab, Multan, where he went and bought natural indigo. So again, there was this whole trail of searching, going with him, trying to find this place where this craftsman, uh, where the farmer was growing indigo. And because ancestral, traditionally, uh, they used to make indigo. In fact, all around the Indus River, indigo used to be grown on the banks as a very natural uh, plant, which over the period, since the chemical indigo came, the, all that diminished and finished off. So um, he continued to produce indigo in small quantity. He grew indigo because the leaves, they would dry the leaves and send them to Middle East where the women apply it on their palms and you see them black stained. They call it Kari Mehendi, which is the black henna for staining the palms. So this man was growing and continuing with this tradition to gain money from that. But the father, I mean, he continued to make little indigo because his forefathers did that. Oh. And some craftsmen would buy that indigo from him. The practice in general had completely stopped, but it continued here. So for me, it was really exciting that this man continued the whole tradition unknowingly that he's contributing to the to this wealth. And anyway, so my thing with indigo started off that, you know, we need to produce in order to make the craftsmen to answer what you were saying, that unless we have the where do you get indigo for them to switch to natural indigo so you've got to go back to the source of making the indigo and um, and it was fantastic because then we did a then I was involved in uh, working I got a piece of land with the government in the forest and we grew natural indigo with the farmers and produced indigo and uh, that's also sort of partly documented you've documented mm. you've done that it's a fantastic project um, no, unfortunately, it's come to a halt in the last two years because of this water problem, and but it has to go on. <laughs> um, what else about me? That has continued. I think everything is connected. Wherever there's a challenge, I take it on. I, I'm working. I design landscapes. Again, it's probably connected to nature. So my husband, being an architect, but I not. I don't work on his projects, but landscaping is extremely. I mean, it just happens because it's connected to the interior spaces and working with plants and trees. Um, travel, any any excuse, because that is where all the learning comes from. So whether it's Yemen or Sri Lanka. <laughs> what else? It led me, my indigo led me to Japan. And um, I got a fellowship and um, spent a year uh, looking at the indigo production areas there and to did, I did a comparative study between indigo at our place and Izumi there and it's a completely different um, integration of 
Aizomi in their life and the plant, the usage of it. And um, I, I think that is how we all are connected, in fact. It is through the natural dyes and through textiles that uh, I'm here. You've been listening to Norjahan Belgrami, recorded live while speaking in the workshop The Working Traveler. The Working Traveler was presented as part of the Mewal Textile Symposium. It was held on October 17, 2007. In Part 3 of The Working Traveler, Charlotte Kwan will speak about her involvement in various craft projects and how she organizes her journeys. This episode was first posted in January of 2008. For more information on Mewal Podcasts, visit our website at www.maywa.com. I'm Tim McLaughlin. Thank you for listening.